Well, this morning, what we want to look at is the future of Cornerstone and the Great Commission. And certainly, the next three weeks, our plan is to have, or including this week, two more messages after that. One, this Lord's Day on the Great Commandment for the Church, the last commandment Christ gave. And then a second message on the great story of the church, the impact the great commandment has had on the history of the church, how that has taken place all through the earth. And then to remember that that's part of our story as a church, what God has been doing down through the ages in an amazing way. And then a third message on the great challenge to the church. What will we do the next 45 years? We've had 45 years that I believe in a very wonderful way we have had the joy of imperfectly, imperfectly with all of our frailties, but we have been faithfully seeking to obey the great grand commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we come to this, I believe it is important for us to see that the great commandment of the Lord defines the Christian faith, that it's a gospel for all nations, all peoples. I hope you're almost tired already to hearing that it's for every language, every tribe, every people, and all the earth is included. None is accepted. It's not for just one language, but for all peoples. The Lord himself called Abram to leave his country and become a blessing to all nations. His very words of promise, all people on earth will be blessed. And if you pause for a moment, I hope you're with me. Isn't this just amazing? Amazing grace that God has a message for every nation, every tribe, all peoples. In fact, it's that which is in your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. The Old Testament is just an amazing story of that promise again and again. And I believe Cornerstone has had a beautiful sense of being involved with that. There are those who have sacrificed financially, those who have been part of missionary endeavors. There are those here who have, yes, entered into how we can obey the grand, the great commission that God has given to us. Cornerstone is a missions church. And I think if we realize what the scriptures teach, we will understand that Christianity is a missions religion of its very essence. It's through and through that it's to go to the ends of the earth for all peoples everywhere, none excluded. We read in Acts 3.25, and we're assured that as believers we are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with the fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's almost, it's almost what we might say crazy. Look at this. Through one man and his seed, every nation and the earth is going to be blessed. That's amazing grace. That's the great story. Jesus came not just 
for Jews, but for all those who have faith in the God of Abraham. All true believers in him are blessed. The good news. Let me repeat this with great emphasis. True Christianity has an intense, burning missionary spirit. The New Testament pulsates with the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Remove that and you don't have the New Testament. Remove that it's for all peoples and you have a different religion than Christianity. Let us hear those words of our Lord in the gospel. Matthew tells us that after the resurrection and the days of receiving instruction from the risen Lord, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had indicated. When they saw him, it says, they worshipped him. Matthew 28, the end of this great gospel. But some doubted, some hesitated. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go or going and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's bow. O oh Lord, you did send your son as the greatest of all missionaries. He came from a completely different culture to a world that was made by him and yet did not receive him. So Lord, we, we pray that you would work in us as we think of 45 years as a church and our prayer is, O oh Lord, cause us to be a faithful community of truth and love for the next 45 years and that we would know what this great commission is all about afresh in our hearts and lives. Strike our hearts, Lord. Get our attention. We pray, Lord, you would even now so work in all of our lives that we would have the joy of entering afresh into obedience to this great commandment to make disciples of the nations. We ask, Lord, for your blessing upon us. Deliver us, O oh Lord, from merely making mud pies and dreaming about things that would seem to be only putting our money in bags with holes in them. Dreaming of things that are only so bubbles that seem to burst so easily. Oh, Lord, use our lives for those things that will be forever in eternity. Help us as a church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you look at this passage, here is the, the great commandment that I think should have an impact on us as a church over the, not just the last 45 years, but the future 45 years that we would be a faithful congregation. And so this morning I would have just three very simple, concise points 
from this passage. There's a great deal more that we'll see later, but this morning that we would see, as you have on the back of your bulletin, that simple outline, the great imperative, make disciples, and then the process of, yes, going, baptizing, and teaching the process of making disciples, and then the great purpose of it all. Isn't it amazing? Isn't this amazing grace, what we have before us, that he has given us these powerful words, this great commandment that has a process that he's determined how it's to work, and then it does have a plan, a purpose. It all fits together. That context that we have of the great commission of how they came to that very place they were told to go, that mountain, and then there they worship him. And though it says some doubted, there was a hesitancy that was there. And with these very words, he begins that work among them of amazing grace of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we begin with that as a commandment, the great imperative, one commandment, Make disciples. There's only one verb here that is a commandment. And in this, this uh, commandment is such that we are to be faithful in doing this. What we're called on to do is not to somehow or another make sales, manipulate people, but to make disciples. And I think it's good for us to realize that it's not given as something as something of an angry commandment. Do this. I know you can't do it very well. I know you can't do it in reality. It's too big a job for you. I believe it's given in love. And his being with us will make all the difference as we hear this commandment. It's a loving commandment. One that's very real. He has given to us this commandment to make disciples. Let's ask ourselves, shall we let the nations perish? We have a clear command from our God, make disciples of the nations. What's a disciple? Maybe that's one of the helpful things. The scriptures give us something of how they are servants, how disciples are those who are, yes, worshipers, they're learners. I think that's a good word. I don't know if we use that very often. Learners. Uh, and I, I think it's good sometimes also for us to pause a moment and, and, and know the negative of something. You know, we, we describe what something is, but it's good to understand things sometimes when you have what I still call the power of negative thinking. Sometimes it's good to know what something is not. And it's not. A disciple is not what I call a fathead, a know-it-all, a theologue, one who is a disciple of Christ, comes under his authority, and everything he learns, he understands how little he knows because of the grandeur, greatness, and glory of God. He's in awe. The more he learns, in fact, the warning, I think, should be there that I sometimes overemphasize maybe a little learning can be a dangerous thing. People think, ah, oh, I know so much, and they begin to tell in their arrogance 
how all things fit together. And there is still to be a humility as a learner, as a disciple. They are those who have been given new hearts. Can these bones live? Lord, you know. It's because the Lord alone gives that new heart. It is the Lord who changes someone. All is under him who is at the right hand of God. Turn with me. I think it's good for us to look at this passage from Daniel chapter 7, a passage I think that is so clear, really, as we see the New Testament. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Daniel's vision, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and here is the picture of Christ after he's given the grand commission, the great commandment. We know then after that is his ascension to the Father's right hand. And here in my vision at night I looked, and there was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we were singing Crown him Lord of all. He ascended to the Father's right hand, as Hebrews 1.3 says, and he was seated at the Father's right hand. And yes, he is the Lord and has power, all authority, in heaven and on earth now. And so we are to be under his authority. So what is it that's so necessary to be a disciple? We come to Christ you can't go to others with the gospel if you've never come to him. You can't go out with what you've not received. So there is that great importance. You remember those words of the Sermon on the Mount, and I think they're important words. As we read the beauty of that sermon, he comes to a place where he says, there are those who will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. And then the saddest words, maybe in all the Bible. Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. The most important thing is that we know and come to know the Lord. That we are disciples that belong to him and that we live under his authority. You can't give to others what you don't have. You can't be a missionary huh, if you've never really come and keep coming to Christ for the good news every day. How do you make a disciple? We're commanded to make disciples, and yet we read in the scriptures and only God can make a new person. Only God can change a heart. Only God can do that which is impossible with men. And yet he commands us to be involved with making disciples. I always uh, probably 
should learn it by memory because I love it so much, but uh, some of these things are difficult. We enjoy singing that hymn, and can it be? It's Charles Wesley's great uh, uh, hymn to celebrate his own conversion, but he has that one stanza so powerful when he has this long, my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's a disciple, something only God can make. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it that amazing grace? Isn't that something that's just way over the top, impossible with us, but God does it through us? Amazing. It's truly amazing grace, isn't it? Hmm. Then secondly, we call it the great process. There are really three action verbs that aren't commandments, but they almost have that sense of the imperative of a command because they fit under his authority and under that element of make disciples. So here we have three verbs, that of going, that of baptizing, and that of teaching all that Christ has commanded. And as you look at this making disciples, to, to think it's going to all the nations, not just the lost sheep of Israel. You remember when you have the ministry of Jesus, Jesus said in relation to his own ministry, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And during his ministry, he instructed the 12 as he sent them out, do not go among the Gentiles or any, any town, enter any town of the Samaritans. But today, we are commanded to take the gospel to all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all languages. How did this come about? Well, it was God's timing. There was a preparation that he had for all his people that they were, yes, to be that wonderful light to the Gentile world. Christ came from them, and he is the light of the world. We are to go beyond Israel today, and yet, with carefulness, we don't exclude the Jews. How odd that God would choose the Jews, a strange people. They are his people, and he still has the gospel going to them. But it goes on beyond them to all peoples. Be careful. And I would recommend you sometime to read through a good biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer as he battled with what was, became to be German Christianity, German nationalism as Christianity. And because it excluded the Jews, it could not really be Christianity as Jesus is a Jew, as the disciples, the apostles are Jews. Anything that brings that element of excluding others as a national element or nation is contrary to the gospel. And that's very important to realize, yes, there was to be a 
a light to the Gentiles, to all peoples, all nations. Jesus did not revoke the commission to Israel. He says, go. And it always involves time with people. Going involves time with people. It may involve learning another language. It may involve learning another culture, adapting somewhat to another culture, to another people, to other foods even, to other history. But is going all that it's about? Not just proclaiming the message, and God does it. No, we are to be those who are beseeching people with the gospel. It's a process as we go. We must make disciples. Not just that we've done our work, but we are to enter into their lives, language and culture and people. It's sweaty, messy work, what we call missions. It doesn't just go on a piece of paper with some nice pictures. It's painful and disappointing. And yet, the beauty of it all is that the message goes forth and people are cut to the heart and they do come to see and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That process of baptizing them, that they come to faith in Christ. They're baptized, as our passage has it, into the one name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. There it is given to us with clarity. He is the true and living God. Those who were baptized were disciples. They were grateful and humble worshipers. Their testimony was not, we have arrived, but they were those who had come under his authority, and yes, they were learning, they were enjoying, they were in awe of his amazing grace. I still remember a dear lady, and I mention her from time to time, even with our children, different grandchildren, a dear lady that had been part of what we call the Latter-day Saints, and she had been uh, in all this material with her husband, moved out here from Iowa, and began to read the Bible four times a day, and they would read three chapters each time, and they went through the whole of the Bible, and as they went along, they said, well, whoa, this isn't what we're being taught. This is something very different. And they came to see that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they decided they both wanted to be baptized here at Cornerstone. And the husband died that night, heart attack. And she was so alone, 86 years old, but she had this great desire to be baptized publicly. It didn't matter to her if her hair was going to get messed up, or in fact, I still remember we didn't heat the water in those days. And, and uh, uh, she came down in that water and she was... Uh, shaking pretty good that's after that we decided to heat the water you know but she gave a testimony that she was saved by God's grace and she identified publicly alone and that's what it does it changes someone they want to identify with Christ and this element is still strong here 
teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. It's something that goes on. It's not just before baptism or during baptism or, or some classes, but it's the whole of the Christian life. There is a sense in which when we come to faith in Christ and we publicly identify with him, we're part of his people, we continue learning. I think some of the strongest times of learning, uh, you know, we think back and we, when we were learning, we want to share those things with others. But we keep on. The more we learn, the more, as I've said, how little we know of the grander greatness and glory of God. We want to learn more, teaching them. John writes elsewhere, in actually 2 John, he says, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in, continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. We continue in that teaching. We continue learning and enjoying. We as a congregation here, we love what we call the doctrines of grace. We emphasize those things. Salvation is of the Lord. But it's a danger sometimes. Someone begins to understand these wonderful things. And then because I understand this, I can tell you're terribly wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong. And I'm not going to have anything to do with you because I understand the truth. And that arrogance is just the complete opposite of understanding the doctrines of grace. Let me read again for you what I love reading just because I laugh at the end. And I've, I'm sure somewhere, I don't know if I've shared it here, but I always use it in Spanish a great deal. But it's called The Bridge. And... Uh, Maybe I've read it one time somewhere in the past. Don't see anybody saying, don't read it again. I do just love this because it shows how important it is for us to see what we have in common in Christ. The bridge. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump and I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> how much did he have in common? Did you count with how many things in common they had? And yet somehow or another, I know something, I have something, I stand for something. We need to be careful that we don't take small things 
and make them the major things. The great truths of, yes, Christ alone is our salvation. Yes, by faith of Christ alone is our salvation. It's all of grace. Yes, yes. Only God's written word in the scriptures is our foundation, and it's for God's glory alone. Yes. But there's many details that we're all still learning, and we'll continue learning. Where were you five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? As we take the Great Commission, we work with people in different levels, in different places. We want the gospel to go forth. We laugh at this. But we do need to count how many things they had in common. And maybe we need to repent of our, our arrogance, how God humbles us constantly, and how we're still learners, disciples, in that real deep sense. Now, very quickly, the great purpose. Where is this? What is its purpose of it all? And yes, very important, as we look at this, it has to do with the glory of God, solely Deo Gloria, God alone for the glory. But I think it's important for us with this message to see that it has to do with all peoples. The plan is for all peoples, languages, nations, tribes, no exceptions. I hope I've emphasized that enough, that it comes right from the scriptures. No exceptions. We have the commandment to take it to all peoples. There is to be a oneness through this written word that we've come to believe that we are then as one and we take that gospel to others. It's to make the nations glad. If we look at the world today, the nations are not glad and we have the one message that will change all of that that really does change people. What we see in the nations today is polarized people, anger, evil, war, hatred, crush my enemy, crush my fellow American even, crush this person, destroy those people. Political parties pitted against each other. Our nation to be glad, it's the gospel. Isn't that amazing grace? Isn't it the gospel that's the amazing grace? It's the one thing that has power to actually not just change the structures or people, but change the hearts of people, make them new. Now, a quick word. We think of the salvation of the elect, God's people. Will the heathen be saved if we don't go? Will they be made glad by the good news of Christ if we don't take that gospel to those who haven't heard? Now, what I want to do is turn that question around on us. It's what I might call a reality check. God still saves sinners. God does that. He sends people in different places, and he gets them there. People have come into your lives and you wonder how in the world I first heard, how this came about in my life. But even in the tribes in different places of the world, God sends that gospel in different ways. The real question is not, will the nations 
not be saved if we do not take and send them the gospel? I think the real question might be better for us to ask ourselves. Are we saved ourselves if we do not send them the gospel? If we do not faithfully seek to obey the great grand commission of taking the gospel to all peoples. The triune God still asks, as he did to Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will go forth? Are we, yes, praying our children to be sent forth? Are we ready to go forth ourselves, our grandchildren, to go forth and take the gospel to others? Are we willing to let them perish without ever having heard the gospel of Christ? I think there's estimates that the different mission groups have worked with these statistics of something like 155,000 people die every day without having heard, having the opportunity to hear of the gospel. But God's heart goes out to them through us, through us. Jesus' voice of love says to us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a great conclusion to the gospel. Could there be a greater commandment? a greater consummation, climax of the book of the gospel of Matthew. Amazing. Salvation is of the Lord. He is the one who sends us. Let us pray. Help us, O Lord, that we would have something of that white heat, that passion. O Lord, renew our hearts, strike our hearts as we have already prayed. Get our attention. I thank you, Lord, for Cornerstone, where there is such a uh, faithfulness in supporting, praying for, even financially supporting the gospel going to the nations of this earth. And yet, Lord, as we bow all of us together, it is our great desire to not waste our lives on those things that are just soap bubbles. But, oh, Lord, Strike our hearts that we would love you more. Strike our hearts with this commandment, this great commandment that we would obey you in such a way that Jesus Christ would be made known to all the nations, the peoples, the languages, and the tribes of the earth. Do that work of amazing grace in us, we pray in Jesus' name.